Hey everybody, welcome to Media Review Pod, a variety podcast of discussions, opinions, and interviews focusing on the entertainment side of media. My name is Richard Santiago, and today we'll be talking about the new Netflix film and Oscar hopeful, Roma. It was written and directed, among other things, by Alfonso Cuaron. As always, you can tweet us using the Twitter handle at Media Review Pod and the hashtag Media Review Pod. You can also send us an email at MediaReviewPod at gmail.com with questions, comments, or suggestions. And announcing it for the first time on air through these internet waves, you can call now and leave a voicemail to our phone number. It's 407-603-5847. Now, our guest today is a bona fide artist on her own who, when I showed her my first short film in film school, she told me, and I quote, don't change a thing. Now, how true that statement was, I guess I'll never know, but I've cherished it ever since. She has been featured on two other podcasts that I know of, The Artist Unmasked and She Called Action. We are joined by photographer, filmmaker, social change activist, and overall awesome artist, Leonora Ansaldua. Welcome to the pod. Hi, thank you for having me. Happy New Year. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, so uh, here's here's what we're going to do today. So um, we'll talk a little bit about what's been helping us procrastinate recently. And we'll also discuss the movie Roma, followed by five things we are looking forward to in the new year, 2019. That's simple enough. But before we get to that, I would like to do a, a little Q&A to get our motors running and learn a little bit about you. You down for that? Yeah. Sweet. All right, here we go. Where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in San Diego. Um, San Diego. Okay. <laughs> for others. Um, I, my dad was a graduate student at UCSD when I was born. Um, so we lived in graduate student housing for a little while. Oh, wow. Um, nice. And then um, we ended up staying. Um my parents eventually split and my dad moved back east um, and went to law school and became a lawyer. Um, but my mom and I and my little brother stayed in San Diego and I lived there until I went to college. Um, I went to Yale for undergrad and so I lived in Connecticut for a little over four years. Um, so that's when I became familiar with Puerto Rican cuisine and actually learned to cook from my Whoa. boyfriend who was Colombian and Puerto Rican. Oh, so. wow. Nice, nice mix. <laughs> I, that's, that was a good like introduction to being a cook, um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I've committed some important recipes to memory. I can always pull them out. Um, <laughs> All right. And uh, I decided to. I decided I was finally ready to apply to graduate school, so I applied to um, USC and NYU, and I got into USC. So I moved up to LA. And I've been in LA since then. Awesome. Now, uh, what what made you gravitate towards uh, photography? Was there a particular I... picture or set of pictures that kind of remained ingrained in your head to make you go, "Huh, this is this is pretty pretty awesome." Mm. I was always really interested in art, and I really loved two different types of exhibits. I loved the abstract painters um, and photographs. I just was really drawn to them and um, started trying when I was about seven or eight, you know, had those, those um, 
like rangefinder cheap cameras with like one fixed wide angle lens that were like twenty dollars at Target, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> that I yeah, owned I and those. dropped a cartridge of film. Yep. <laughs> uh, I started playing with those and sort of trying to make like artistic pictures of my own and never liked them. And then when I was around twelve, my stepmother let me um borrow her manual SLR camera. And um, when, once I used that camera, I realized why I wasn't able to get what I wanted right. from the cheap little camera that I had was I, I wasn't seeing through the lens. And then when I was in high school, um, I had the f- good fortune to go to a magnet high school that had um, uh, photography and other graphic arts programs. So we had a dark room that I learned to print in and I learned to develop my film when I was in high school. I, was it. A, I think I was a freshman in high school and I learned to develop and print and I learned how to work a lithography machine and how to screen print and stuff. So that was really a great foundation. Nice. You know I what? I understood how dark room worked. I also, know? I also did some, uh, some photography as, as an undergrad though. Um, but I can attest that there's there's definitely something magical about bringing those pictures to life. I mean, mm-hmm. processing film and and seeing seeing all the mistakes you've made and developing yeah. the, the the positive and you see the the image when you print it. You see the the image appear magically when you're mm-hmm. you put it in the in the developing liquid. It's just it's pure magic. That I, I think that's the only way yeah. I can I can basically describe it. Um, now. You you became a, a filmmaker, right? That was your your graduate studies. Um, so I ended up taking a um, a film production class at a junior college after I graduated from undergrad, just to make sure that I liked it before I went to graduate school. And I found it to be just the most exciting like combination of the things that I love about photography and the things that I love about theater, um, because the the way that you can kind of like get this great synergy of people working together and have a collaborative experience where everybody's just like throwing all of their their heart and their passion into something to uplift it and make it better, I think is like the the goal of cinema. Um, Did you do some theater work? When I was in college and I started doing the art projects that I was doing that were self-portraiture, one of my friends asked me to act in her play and so she got a bunch of us together, this like little ragtag group of people who she thought like kind of had some artistry to them and she thought they could do it. Um, and it was phenomenal. We did, you know, I think we did two or two and a half months of rehearsal and she did all kinds of act- acting exercises with us and journaling and um, character improv and backstory. As a matter of fact, so. during that time, because um, we're only, what, a year apart? So mm-hmm. yeah, around that time, I was also doing theater. So yeah, yeah it was great. I, I was more, <laughs> uh, more, more towards the uh, behind the scenes kind of thing. I mean, I I, I was mm-hmm. writing uh, short plays and and directing, um, but I also I also did some acting. So yeah, it's great to to have a a, a fellow theater enthusiast. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's so much fun. Yeah, I love I love the the immediacy <laughs> of of theater. Um, the mm-hmm. rehearsal process is wonderful. Um, you get to, yeah. you get to form this great family while you're rehearsing. And, uh, to, to this day, I still have a bunch of, uh, friends from, from, from my theater days. So, yeah, 
And it always, the, the one thing is that always is so heartbreaking at the end when you have to leave it, you know? Yes. And the thing that I, the thing that I do like about film that I like a little bit better is that you have a thing to take with you at the end. <laughs> you know, you have the movie, like right, right. the finished product, right? Yes, like, yes. You have a, it's like a little memento right, to me. Right. It's like the, re- the recording that you have. Yeah, instead of taking know? the prop, you have the, you have the, the, the project. You, you're right. Like you have a video of it right. or whatever, a yeah. film, whatever mm-hmm. it happens to be. Yeah. Okay. So, Great. So um, aside from, from filmmaking uh, and, and having uh, maybe several projects of, uh, in different stages of development, you also have several photography works, which you've talked about uh, that you have in your portfolio and they're on your website, which mm-hmm. for, for our audience, her website is, uh, Leonora makes pictures.com. And I urge you guys to go there cause she has a bunch of cool stuff there, but I I'd like to just briefly highlight my favorites from, from these three uh, sets that you have and, uh, stop me okay. if, 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 if you want to say something. Um, so we have, uh, okay. Graceland, which is a, a collection inspired, by several lyrics on Paul Simon's album of the same name. And to me, it seems the most raw of the three. And I know that it's connected mm-hmm. to your childhood um, where your parents were, were separated, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it reminds you of the time when you guys were a unit. Yeah. And yeah, this whole album feels like uh, nost- the nostalgia that once was. Um, the lighting mm-hmm. in all of them is very frontal. It, it brings out details of faces or, or objects that they're, they're front and center. You're not trying to hide anything, but bring forth maybe a truth that can only be seen through, through the lens of the abstract. Um, there's also a mix of medium in, in some of them that I noticed. Uh, it, makes, mm-hmm. it makes the thing look uh, old and new at the same time. Um, but my favorite is your self-portrait within a, a, a portrait. It's um, the one where you have the, the frame uh, mm. on your chest. So mm-hmm. and it's a, a lonely heart and it's bleeding on a cactus, right? Um, yeah. And it's maybe aching for something lost. And I, I don't know. I, I see it mm-hmm. and, and feel like it represents maybe unconsciously. Um, what the entire album means to you. Um, oh, interesting. So that's that. Um, I like that. <laughs> then there's uh, then there's <laughs> I Am Woman and Latina Hollywood, uh, these other two albums where we can truly see what makes you tick in, in these two. Mm. It, it seems like you put here, if you could change anything about society we live in, it's it's here. They both are in mm. the realm of what's expected of a woman in the past and the present. And in I Am Woman, which you made with another of our colleagues, uh, filmmaker Annalisa of the James. Shout out to Anna. Hi, Annie. <laughs> so the, the, uh, the use of, of color and high key lighting makes her pop. And I, I, I love mm-hmm. it about it. Uh, she's front and center. And again, you're not trying to hide anything. The use of, of plastic props is right there. Um, yeah. However, the, the message you try to convey is, you know, it's clear. Even though you have these, mm-hmm. these fake props and you have Anna, who is obviously real, <laughs> um, there, there's, <laughs> there's still this core message that you, you just can't miss. But aside from that, I also noticed something else. There are no portraits of you in I Am Woman. 
Now, is this because、mm. the role of motherhood is something that you haven't experienced yet? Maybe. Okay.、Um, for me, this, this、uh, project was very、um, inspired by Anna. Okay.、Um, I was really fascinated with her incredible bravery and ambition. Okay. <laughs> To go to grad school、mm-hmm. when she did,、um, and how much she was juggling and how much she was potentially giving up. Well, well out of these photo series, I think、uh, Latina Woman is my favorite. Now, was this, was this the,、uh, your thesis? Was this what you were doing for? Yeah. Okay, great. All right.、Um, yeah. So I like、mm-hmm. this one.、Uh, it goes also to the core of something. Uh, that you deeply care about, and that's the representation of minorities.、Um, and in this case,、mm-hmm. the Latina woman or of Latino descent,、uh, the hair color, the grain in the emulsion, those deep blacks, those wonderful deep blacks, the,、uh, the poses,、mm-hmm. the, the, the recreation of specific iconic moments of these、mm-hmm. uh, women that you're emulating. I mean, it all harkens back to your childhood, right? I mean, You, yeah. You, you have you identified yourself as a Latina since you were since you were a child. Yeah. Okay.、Um, I mean, were you I were you aware of this as a kid? I don't think. I I think that、um, the first time that I realized that it was a thing that was different、um, was when I saw、um, La Bamba. Okay. And and that was the first time I was aware that people were like. Prejudice against Mexican people. For me, it was just the people who are around me, and th- there was no strangeness about it,、mm-hmm. um, if that makes sense. It just, like, it just was my reality.、Um, and when I was seven, my dad took me to see La Bamba in the theater. And that was the first time that I realized that, that it was, a, it was an, an other to be, I guess, or a thing that. that People were prejudiced against, I guess.、Um, so that was a pretty like, sharp, defining moment in terms of my consciousness about it.、Um, I think that before that, I, I must have known somewhere inside that there was some kind of difference because my memories of thinking that I was ugly because I didn't have blonde hair、oh, are much earlier than that. I, I was probably two or three years old. Um, when I started to think that, that I needed blonde hair to be pretty, so that I know I was taking in sort of cultural messages.、Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't really understand that being, especially like Mexican, was different from being, I don't know, I guess whatever the culture defines as, as the generic self, which at that time was white. Right. <laughs>、um, right. And I was aware that people were prejudiced against black people. I just wasn't necessarily aware of the prejudice against Mexican people. Right. Now,、um, do, do you, before do, that age. Do you feel, do you feel it's, because obviously it's changed from, from back then. And, and, and back then,、yeah. um, I, I'm just talking about the, the 80s, guys.、Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not talking about the 50s.、Um, I want to I wanna, I wanna have your take on it because. You said you were maybe absorbing this from, from media around you,、uh, be it posters or, or, or commercials,、uh, TV shows, movies. Right.、Uh, so, compared to, to, to back then, how do you feel that it's changed? Do you think that it's changed enough?、Um, or do you think that it's going in the right direction? I, get, I think it's hard to, 
say that it's not going in the right direction. Um, I definitely think we still have a long way to go okay. um, in terms of more diverse and different roles. Um, but, you know, I mean, at one of my, one of, one of the sort of very present and unspoken parts of the Latina Hollywood um, project is unfair. I, I look Spanish, if anything, mm-hmm. right? I look like a Spaniard. Um, there were at least people who looked like me in media. Right. Yes. They might not have been the characters that I wanted to be or related to. It might have been Cha Cha in Greek mm-hmm, mm-hmm. instead of Sandy, right? right. Uh, wasn't the person anybody wanted to be, but she she had a she had a self. She had a presence there. Um, there was no such thing as an Afro Latina in any media when I was a kid. Um, and I, so I was always very aware in analyzing this, that my relation to the relationship to this was complicated in a very specific particular way, but there were plenty of people who didn't see themselves represented at all. Um, and that's a whole different relationship to media and, and sort of what your role is in the public space and, and having a, a social self in a place when you're a little kid to imagine yourself growing up into. Um, and there's a lot more content now and there's a lot more content being made by different people. And, um, and that's great because it means that there are, you know, characters. I mean, one of the first was Dora the Explorer, right? Right. Um, little brown girls could look at her and say, she looks like me. Yep. That's me. That's like me, right? Or she looks like my mom. And and so they have that identification and some sort of like validation of their place in a, in a larger society, I think, comes from that. Speaking of Dora, um, let me tell you what I like about Dora because my, my kids went through the Dora phase as well. Um, mm-hmm. And... I like that they don't make it a point to to say, "Hey, we're being we're being different, or we're being inclusive, or uh, hey, uh, a Mexican and I have this this uh, this white friend, but a Mexican, right. it's it's just it just is. It's her, and you go right. with an adventure with her. She just happens to be Mexican, and she has her traditions, and she has her animal friends." Um, and she has her her uh, her goals of the day, um, but it's mm-hmm. just it's just a, a little girl who happens to be Latina, and that's it. Right. Yeah. And I think I think that's the ideal, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I mean, I because it's a world. It's a, I mean, that's what we are. It's a normalizing of that identity, right? Um, and and I love that she's funky and adventurous and creative and brave. Right. right. That's another great, I mean, for girls that don't look like her, that's still a great um, role model for a little girl. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I can be an explorer. I'm going to go look for things. I'm going to learn about the world and dig in. And, um, and I especially like the idea of having kids, um, having kids of all backgrounds be able to see some positive reflections of self um, in media. Right. Right. And, um, and also to have other little kids see those representations as normal, right? Like other kids who aren't, who don't look like Dora are seeing Dora and the way Dora looks is normal. 
it's normalized. And so when they go to, they go to school and they're in a class full of kids that maybe all of them look alike because they have a similar ethnic background and there's one kid that doesn't have the same, they're not, they're not the weirdo that's getting made fun of because, Oh, I know, I know what Mexican is. Mm -hmm. I know some of the traditions. I learned that on Dora. Right. Yes. Um, And I think, you know, similarly with black Panther, having little white kids dress up as black Panther. Right. It's Mm -hmm. like, yes, that's what we want. Right. We want people to be able to have role models and see the humanity of people across different ethnic backgrounds, the whole spectrum of, I want to be like that person because of who they are right. and how strong they are and how cool they are and not putting people in different categories that limit them based on their ethnicity, which is not to say it's very different from not recognizing what's specific about them culturally, because I think that's also, um, I think it, it's also problematic and frustrating when people say, oh, everyone's the same mm-hmm. because everyone's not the same, right? Recognizing people's differences and the beauty of their differences and what's cool about people's different cultures and what they have to offer is part of like the joy of living in a multicultural society. Um, and so recognizing those differences and recognizing that people have different experiences and different types of food and dance and art and histories to offer is, um, I think, a really important part of living in a society like ours. And the more that that our mainstream art can reflect that, I think the better for having people keep those messages in their heart in their daily lives, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. So let's, let's move uh, a little bit from what you've made in the past and and look to the future um i'm, I'm sure you uh you have work for hire as well because i mean you need to keep the lights on um right. and i know for a fact that you're a wonderful <laughs> cinematographer uh i know this firsthand Thank you. uh and <laughs> you've been working on some shows lately can you tell us a little bit about that um yeah i have a, a few things that i did last year um I DP'd a couple of shows for Awesomeness TV, um, which mostly makes content for sort of a teen market. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you say DP, a lot of, I'm sorry, this is for, for our audience. When she says DP, she means oh, director of photography. and right, uh, or cinematographer. Right, cinematographer, <laughs> yes, right. Okay, I'm sorry, um, go on. Yeah, and so um, that... Uh, the, there were a few different shows that I did. A lot of them are like sort of teen soap um world uh but one that i really really loved um working on and i actually think is funny and really fun is a show called 20 something so that one is up and available to watch um at awesomeness tv's uh website and on youtube and then uh i had some directing work that i did i've directed a couple branded documentaries um one for Barnes and Noble and one for a really cool NGO called the International Institute for Rural Reconstruction. Um, and they went to Cambodia and uh, Myanmar and the Philippines to shoot some content about their work. And they do um, very sort of hands-on localized high impact work. So that was, that was a really fun thing to be a part of and um, really inspiring. So I'm working on, Finishing that up now, it's in post. Um, Is that where also, your pictures from Cambodia come from? Yes. Okay. Yeah. 
So, Which um, are fantastic. Those are great. Thank you. Yes. Dude, I was, I was, every time you posted one, I was, okay, here's a new one. All right, let me see what I see here. How many more are there? No, no, they were great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. There was, it was a lot of fun. And it was, you did some really was, beautiful portraits really cool. of kids and, and people oh, doing you. their thing and the temples. And oh my God, it was just, it was fantastic. Yeah. It was really magical. Yeah. It was, it was a, so much fun especially to interact with people and it's a kind of a, a wonderful way to form a relationship with someone when you don't speak the language mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to take their picture um because you know you uh, it's a way of sort of communicating and recognizing them as a person non-verbally right and so um it was really a lot of fun to sort of like snap a picture of someone and then go over and show it to them and have them just be so delighted mm -hmm. <laughs> um so, especially because as a foreigner coming in and taking a picture of them, right. um, yeah, yeah. it's not a thing that happens very often. And so you're, you know, you're recognizing them and appreciating them and seeing them. And, and so that's kind of a fun interaction to have with people. All right. Um, so what, what about now? Yeah, what, what, are you, so, what are you looking forward to uh, work-wise? Uh, what's in the horizon? Any features, TV shows? Yeah, I'm, I'm writing. Um, I'm working on um, a TV show that is sort of in the, it's a historical narrative drama. Okay. <laughs> Dramatized historical narrative um, about um, the relationship between police and law, or police and communities, um, specifically low-income communities of color. And I'm setting it in Oakland, California. And um, looking at different historical instances of police corruption and um, telling the stories of those events, but also trying to look at sort of a more macro how those um, actions and policies and behaviors can ripple out and create larger social impact. Now, now is this a is this a um, a spec script or was was this yeah. something commissioned? Okay, spec script. Okay. Yeah, totally spec. So you know. Hopefully, hopefully I can get someone who's interested in making it, but, um, <laughs> okay. it's a, you know, that's the, that's that's the, the hope, story right? of life, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and otherwise, once I, once I finish that pilot script, I'll move on to, um, uh, an indie feature that I plan to make myself okay. that, um, uh, I'm going to write, um, sort of generally a magical realist, um, immigration story, um, dealing with current immigration situation and and from the perspective of a child trying to understand um what all of us is about and imagining imagining other people as monsters and sort of realizing mm -hmm. the humanity in them as kind of the through line so um i'm excited to dive into that but one thing at a time um other than that oh i do have a a a short that I was the cinematographer of last year that's having a fun little festival run right now. Nice. Um, so I'm looking forward to a couple more screenings. Um, it premiered at the Culver City Film Festival uh, last month and to cheers and right, many congrats. laughs and lots of fun audience engagement. So that was a lot of fun to get to go. I'm glad it premiered locally so I can go and it's going to be at the Women's Film Festival um, in Vermont and the Worldwide Women's Fest 
Film Festival in Phoenix coming up. So if you're in either of those places, maybe look it up. Okay. It's a fun little short. Um, yes, the more eyes, the better. And, yeah. Um, and I. And what's what's and the name? What's the name of the short again? Oh, it's Cafe Abundance. Sorry, I didn't even say. I'm also looking forward to working on a feature film that's being written by um, Cheryl Rhodes of um, Unpaid for Rhodes. And uh, she also does the um, She Called Action uh, podcast. Um, and she has a feature that she's developing right now um, in one of the Sundance um, programs. So hopefully that means that we'll actually get to make it. Um, and another sort of short film passion project um, with uh, Pominock Entertainment, which is um, Teresa Giacino, who's a really smart writer and director. So... I'm excited about those things. That's what I have coming up on the horizon that I know of. But, you know, <laughs> great when you're a freelancer. Yeah. And you're freelancing <laughs> as a... different. You never know what's, what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, uh, yeah. You're, you're constantly out of a job. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and that's, you never know what next week's going to be. Yeah. And that's, you know, and then you, you don't even have to wait for a government shutdown for that. You just... You're out of right. a job. Yeah. You're just unemployed <laughs> as soon as you finish the current project. <laughs> right. So so uh so you're doing portraits as well, right? Yes. Yeah, I um am doing uh a lot of headshots, portraits of people, which I really enjoy doing because I know how nervous a lot of people can be in front of the camera. So it's a lot of fun for me to sort of get something out of them that they are happy with and feel good about. Um, and I have a headshot special that I've been running that's going really well. So, um, if you do go to my website, you'll see it. Uh, one Saturday a month, I'm doing, um, a $55 session for like a quick 15, 20 minutes. And nice. Just come in and get it out of the way and not build it up in your brain and <laughs> get yeah. super stressed out about it. <laughs> just come by my place and we take some nice studio shots and have fun and, um, I really like it as a way to offer, you know, artists and, and entrepreneurs just something that they need at an affordable price and, and a low stress environment so they don't have to build it all up in their heads. Right. <laughs> it can be fun and hopefully painless. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, so people of LA, yeah. if you are in need of portraits for acting resumes or, or, or websites, portfolios, Leonardo's got your back. So um, yep. they can go to your website, right? It's uh, Leonardo Makes Pictures? Yeah. Right. Dot com. Leonardo Makes Pictures dot com. Okay. Um, so why you're, you're not, you're not slowing down. And I mean, that's, that's awesome. I know. <laughs> you know um, I just go all the time. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, however, sometimes we do uh, fall back on procrastinating and. You know, mm. we uh we do that every once in a while. So how about if we talk a little bit about that? I have some hobbies that help me procrastinate. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that counts as procrastination, sure. but uh, sure. But I I was a competitive gymnast as a kid, so I try to make it to gymnastics a couple of times a week. Every week, there's an adult gymnastics class at a at a gym near my place um and gymnastics is hard on your joints so mm -hmm. i try to get the yoga to like give myself a little bit of joint stability and, right. and strength so i don't injure myself um yeah we're pushing 40 and so. i know <laughs> it's getting there my body's running out <laughs> um and uh what else i i am 
have been learning to sing for the last four years now. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. So, 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 so you sing? So you're a filmmaker, you're a photographer, you're a dancer and a gymnast. You fight for social justice and you sing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is that... I'm learning to sing. I'm not <laughs> well, a, that, not like that's a bingo right there. I mean, found musician yet, but <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> so even my hobbies and my procrastination are work. Um, <laughs> And I, I do, as you mentioned, uh, engage a lot with politics. And so I really, uh, probably my biggest procrastination is getting stressed out about the news and then like yes. watching the Daily Show or last week tonight so that I can just laugh about it mm -hmm. and not cry. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> and I'm with you. I'm with so, you. yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, okay. Uh, let me, uh. Let me get my bearings here because uh, I came prepared to talk about just one. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know. <I'm> um, sorry. <laughs> so, so, all right. So, so here's what I've been doing to uh, procrastinate. Uh, I've seen several things, but one in particular that stuck for me was Spider Man into the Spider Verse. This was directed by Bob Persichetti, Peter Ramsey, and Rodney Rothman written by Phil Lord and Rodney Rothman, and produced by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who were the guys who did the Lego movie. Now, um, this may be one of my favorite animated movies. I, I love it. <laughs> um, so I was never a fan of Spider-Man movies in particular. Um, Spider-Man 2 I liked, but I didn't love. I, I remember actively avoiding it in theaters because I hated the first one so much. Um, so anyway, every subsequent Spider-Man film for me, after two, they got worse. And then Marvel Studios and Sony hooked up, and we got a, a, a vision of what the new Spider-Man franchise was going to look like. And you know, I was I was on board for that. I like I like the casting of the new Spider-Man, and and having it be part of of the MCU meant that Marvel Studios would have a hand in the story, but. Never in my wildest dreams did I ever think that I would love a Spider-Man movie until I saw Into the mm. Spider-Verse. Uh, you know, I, I I could do an entire podcast about this movie alone, but I'll try to I'll try to I'll try to keep it brief. Maybe it's coming up. <laughs> um, so for, first off, if you haven't seen it, go see it. Go now. I mean, the the, the animation style in, in this is so different from anything out there right now. And after being disappointed with uh, Incredibles 2 and most of all, Ralph Breaks the Internet, uh, which should be called Ralph Broke My Heart, mm -hmm. um, which, Aww. you know, side note, if, if, you, if you guys want to know more about that one, check out a previous episode on this podcast about that movie. Anyway, so after those letdowns, I was a little jaded about animation. You know, The Grinch was fine. And you have to understand, I have two kids. So going to the cinema for me <laughs> is a luxury. Um, and and when when we do, it's usually to uh, to take the kids. So although I'd love nothing more than to experience the, the 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 thrill of watching Mad Max Fury Road with with my two sons in in, in an IMAX presentation, I, I I still have to wait several more years to to make sure that those images don't don't just traumatize them for for life. 
So, mm-hmm. um, so animated PG movies are what we usually end up seeing. And, you know, I'm not saying that those Disney slash Pixar movies are bad because they're not. They're, they're gorgeous to, to look at and, and the animation is fantastic. And, you know, they're, they're fun at points, but overall they just, well, they, they didn't click with me as, as I was hoping. So Into the Spider-Verse was the entire opposite of that. I, it was thrilling. The animation style, like I said, was something that I had never seen before. I mean, it, it combines 3D and traditional cell animation in, a, in an interesting way. It, it, you know, parts of the movie, you can even see the print ink dots on the images as if you were, you know, as if you were zooming in on the actual comic book page. Um, there's also the fact that this is a, a black Latino Spider-Man. His name is Miles Morales. He's, uh, he's half Puerto mm-hmm. Rican and they speak Spanish in his household without any subtitles. You know, not, not even, they're not even mm. trying to make anything of it. It's just the way they talk. It's their, their, their daily lives. And, mm-hmm. you know, to, to have my kids see that this kid can be Spider-Man and know that it doesn't really matter who's wearing the mask, who's behind the mask, is, I think, is a very, full, very uh, powerful statement. Um, and, you know, the, the way that that thesis is interwoven in the story is masterful it's i can just go on it's fun it's engaging it's it's cathartic at many points and it's funny it doesn't it doesn't shy away from poking fun at the spider-man legacy so if if you guys have a chance to see this movie please do it was just it was great it was a great time at, at the cinema and and my kids enjoyed it i enjoyed it so uh, and it won the, the best animated film for the Golden Globes this past weekend. So um, I don't know. I just I feel that it's uh, one of the best films that I've seen. All right, and uh, so with that, let's give way to our feature segment, our discussion of Alfonso Cuarón's latest film, Roma. So before we talk about Roma, how familiar are you with Cuarón's movie catalog? I'm not super familiar i i don't consider myself a cinephile i don't have a lot of movies in my head um the way a lot of other filmmakers that i know do um however i did um i did see itobama tambien when i was in college um in the in the little movie theater actually it was with a friend that i didn't know very well and it was supposed to be a, like we're, that, we're both gonna be yeah we're <laughs> <laughs> we're both gonna like be godparents to the same baby so maybe let's get to know each other and hang out and then we're wow. watching this movie like, oh this is quite a movie we came to see uh, <laughs> um and uh i've seen children of men and uh roma now and i don't know that i've seen any other i did miss gravity um okay well so if you missed it I in the cinema have, like, don't even huge... bother to watch it at home <laughs> Cause that's really? that's a cinema experience in itself. It's fine as a you know as a HBO kind of movie, but that right. that movie is truly meant to be watched on IMAX, particularly in IMAX. Right. Um, okay, c- keep going. Um, so that's uh. So you don't have a particular one. Kind of where I land. Okay. I don't have like a really strong bias or like catalog in my head i'm not like 
Okay. You know. <laughs> All right, well, I've seen some some of his films. Um, I I missed uh, his previous works, um, and but I've I've kept up to date. Uh, I think after Harry Potter, that was the first film I saw mm -hmm. from him, The Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, and I think that it, what he did with that film and with the franchise in, in particular was he he just he he brought life to it literally i mean he he, uh, he made this world that in the first two movies were you know they were magical they they were and i'm not saying that the first two movies didn't work to to to, to bring this world to life the harry potter world right but what he did was take what they had already done and he transformed it into something that you could relate to in the real world. He made the kids mm -hmm. real kids. He made them feel like uh, like real te teenagers. Um, mm -hmm. So his sensibilities were in full display on that movie. So that was that was my first mm -hmm. experience with his film work. Um, I didn't get to see Itumama Tambien until later on in life. Um, mm -hmm. But I've seen every every other movie, which hasn't. I mean, he hasn't done a lot. Uh, but after Harry Potter, I kind of kept up with what he was doing on the cinema and went to his uh, back catalog and saw a couple of films there. Um, mm -hmm. But my favorite uh, of his is Children of Men. Um, I think the the mm -hmm. the atmosphere created in this movie is something that haunts me to this day. I think uh, Cuaron's uh, style was perfected in this movie. You get to to experience this mm -hmm. post-apocalyptic world. Uh, through its sound, its its action set pieces, and uh, I don't know though, the, it's it's like a profound link that it has to to human beings um, as a mm -hmm. whole. Uh, it's a it's a world that's torn apart. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, torn apart by petty differences. It's segregated by class um, and mm -hmm. place of origin and uh, difference of right. opinions and, and 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 people distracted by technology. So I think these themes uh, still ring true today. Uh, the uh, the camera Absolutely. the camera work in this movie is very engaging and it's it's smooth, and you sometimes even forget, or or simply don't even notice how difficult some of these scenes must have been to shoot. I mean, the climax has mm -hmm. one of my favorite continuous shot scenes, and the story has a, a an incredible. An unforgettable uh, uh, first plot point. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, say any spoilers here, but it's it's the car scene. Um, mm -hmm. The car scene, <laughs> which to this day is oh my god! It's it's great. It's it's one of those things that you don't expect, and the way that it was shot, the choreography. It's it's great, fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of impressive choreography, and that that winner is. I also love the really journey. The journey, incredible. I love the journey of of. Uh, I think it's Theo. Theo is the the name of the protagonist, mm -hmm. and right. how he's basically uh, he's like a reluctant hero. He goes through yeah. through these changes, external and internal, and he comes out a better person on the other side. You know, by the end, mm -hmm. although the, the the experience of 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 watching it is uh, so grim, you know, watching the movie, you end up right. or I did 
I ended up feeling hope. Um, so mm. in a nutshell. Yeah. I mean, it's tragic, but hopeful. The, the film as a whole. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, any, any, any thoughts on this movie? Cause I know for a fact that you saw this movie, you just told me. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, I like it a lot. And I think it's a really masterful post-apocalyptic, um, take and, and does have so much humanity in it. Um, it, I, and especially by the climax, you're so invested in the characters and even anyone who's willing to help mm -hmm. these two people with a genuine sort of purpose along the way, right? You just become instantly connected to, um, to anybody who has good intentions because there are so many bad intentions everywhere. Um, and you know, your heart breaks every time you, you know, lose even some very minor character who has like one or two scenes right. that, that, uh, that it's just like, Oh no, but that was a good person. Right. Like you're, you're just grasping so much for people with, with honest and, and true intentions. Um, and I think it works really well as that style of movie. I'm, I'm not sure that that I don't um, like Roma more, uh, only because of my personal like preference for for sort of themes and and what films are are about and the style of the film. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Cuaron is just really good at at those like simple personal stories. You know, there's a bit of like an old fashioned, I mean, it's, to me, it, it felt, um, very similar to Itomala Rambian somehow. Right. Okay. Let me, let me stop you right there because okay. <laughs> I just want to make sure that I don't miss anything. Yeah. I don't miss anything. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. You know what? Let's just, let's just dive into it. Let's talk about, uh, the film. Um, this is Roma written and directed by Alfonso Cuaron and stars uh, Jalitza Aparicio as Cleo, the family's housemaid. And um, this is a semi-autobiographical story about Coron's real-life housemaid, Libo, uh, to whom he dedicates the film at the end, right? So mm -hmm. um, here's an ultra-brief synopsis from IMDb. It's uh, a year in the life of a middle-class families made in Mexico City in the early 1970s. So, Leonora, your thoughts on this movie? No spoilers. Go. <laughs> You're putting me on the spot there. Yes. Um, I loved Roma for, um, as I was saying before, just this very personal, um, intimate portrait of a family um, and specifically the the housemaid, Cleo. Um, there was a really interesting, um, I guess, contrast between Cleo, who's um, an indigenous woman who's clearly not from money, um, and the family that she works for, but somehow also a very interesting parallel between her and the the mother that she works with, and they're both dealing with very um, complex and difficult romantic relationships with men. Um, and you sort of see both of their struggles in that arena side by side. Um, it also has a lot of interesting contrast between sort of 
personal strife. They're both in a lot of um, individual and personal turmoil. And at the same time, you see the political and public turmoil that Mexico is going through in, in the 70s with student protests um, and, and um, sort of the police uh, becoming violent against the populace and things that are historical in nature. Um, and there's a lot of contrast between tragedy and, and joy. I think that I saw along the way, you know, there are these, these really intense tumultuous moments and, and a lot of deep loss, but then at the same time, the characters, they still have each other and they have this really interesting um, relationship, especially Cleo with the whole family. She has this, this really strong bond with the children and even with the mother, um, that while it's fraught with their their separateness, their sort of class distinction, it also just has so much um, trust and warmth. Um, and she is like a member of the family. And you see the ways in which she's like a member of the family and then in the ways that her class makes her not. And the times that, you know, um, sort of shit rolls downhill, pardon the expression, but, you mm-hmm. know, the, the mom takes out her stress um, from her own life on Glail and, um, and when she feels bad about things that she's done, she'll lash out because, she, you know, Glail is the one with the least power in the situation and how that, um, how that plays out in the family. Um, so there's, there's just so many interesting things of, um, the complex relationship between humans and the way that, that class and, and, um, and social place plays into that. Um, so I think that that's maybe what I have to say, being safe from spoilers. Okay, great. <laughs> so here, here are my thoughts. Um, and there are many thoughts in my head regarding this movie. And you know, that's part mm-hmm. that's part of why I asked you to be a, a part of this discussion, because I, yeah. I also have some questions that uh, need some answering. So um, mm-hmm. here's my take on it. And, and feel free to jump in at any time. Um, okay. So I, I think uh, Roma is a technical marvel. Uh, it achieves things that, you know, to us who are versed in how movies are made, seem incredible. Um, mm-hmm. Some people might just not even notice, but uh, we do notice, and I, I think they are incredible, just incredible. Um, yeah. It sometimes felt like I was seeing a film from back when they were not afraid to go wide and, and showed an entire scene with with depth. I mm-hmm. mean, you have, you have a scene yeah. in this movie where the characters are in a movie theater and we're, we're facing the movie screen. The characters are in the foreground talking as the movie goes on and both the movie screen and the characters are in focus. It, right. it, it's just wonderful to look at. Um, mm-hmm. The film is in black and white, but it's clearly shot on digital. It's pristine. You don't see any grain, um, which according to Cuaron, it's meant to feel like you're looking at the past through the lens of, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. present. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I loved all the, the um, tableaus spread through, throughout the movie. The way yeah. each and every frame is just chock full of detail. I mean, this thing yeah. is 
alive in every sense of the word. The focus is so mm-hmm. deep that you just see detail in, in the furthest background of those wide shots. And the yeah. thing is, we're, we're not cutting. Yeah. We're not cutting in, in this movie either. I mean, it has it has mm-hmm. a bunch of uh, long takes. So and, yeah. and this has been his staple throughout his career, you know, very long, continuous shots. Mm-hmm. So the choreography right. of not only our main characters, but the extras, it's just mind boggling. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we can go in specifics. And I love the, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I love the decision to to use the wide in such a private story, right? Because you you do get to see so much going on that that's actually small. Like usually you see those very wide right. screens, mm-hmm. right? The widescreen version of a story um, with much more epic, right? Uh, subject matter, right? Where there's so much going on to fill the frame and. Um, and in this, you know, you have those moments, right? You have moments where there's tons of extras, but they're few and far between. And a lot of the time there's empty space in the screen. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, there's negative space that lets you just sort of live in that, that moment, or there's, there's really specific things happening in the background. And then the frame is that wide screen just is so much enriched by the entire drama of the scene that's, that's created. You right. Know? Yeah. Well, we can, we can get into the tale later. Um, but I, it, it was just, I was entranced by the way that this whole choreography was achieved. Um, mm-hmm. I think, uh, Yalitza's performance as Cleo is perfect for her role. Uh, um, it's very muted and understated, mm-hmm. but it's full of desires and, and, and shame and regrets that they all want to kind of burst out from her soul. Um, mm-hmm. the movie also has a beautiful and cathartic ending. Um, but for me, the highlight was the sound and I don't know how mm. you experienced this yeah, movie. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, but yes, to our audience, if you want to see this movie, please make sure that you see it with either a surround sound system or something uh, uh, that envelops your your entire sound field or or some really good headphones. How did you How did you see this movie? I actually saw it on my tablet, but with headphones. Okay. On. Okay. Great. Um, All, right. All right. That's that's fine. Yeah, you're. It's so rich. Um. Well, the sound is so rich. Well, f- I was fortunate to to see it here <laughs> in my house, and I have a pretty nice setup. You know, nothing too fancy, mm-hmm. but it is five point one. Um. Right. So I was completely enveloped with the sound design and mix. Uh, and it was just great. You you get bombarded from sounds left, right, front, center, back, and you know it makes you feel like like uh, like you're there, like you're in the car or, mm-hmm. or or in the beach or or the rooftop building, or um, yeah, you know, or in, in the driveway. Uh, so um, yeah. if nothing else, please wear headphones while watching Roma because I think that, <laughs> that the uh, the sound is part of the whole experience. Um, now. Uh, one of the main reasons I, I wanted to talk about this movie is because, and you're probably going to kill me, but I wanted to understand why so many people love it. Because mm. uh, I just, I wasn't too hot on this movie. And I'll tell mm-hmm. you, I'll tell you why. You know, although the story is about Cleo, you know, for me, and and you 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 already uh, told me that you love this, but for me the placement of the camera and the way that it moves kept me at a far enough distance for me yeah. to basically 
and it, it pains me to say this, but I just, I wasn't caring about it. And like I said before, mm-hmm. Yalitza's performance is outstanding and her casting yeah. is great, but her character yeah. for me was so passive that I, I just couldn't yeah. wrap my hand around the fact that everything was just happening to her. And, and I mean, right. guys, when I say everything, I mean everything. Uh, you, you come yeah. to a point where you're at the verge of having this movie become mystery porn. And, and I'm asking myself, mm-hmm. for what? Uh, right. who, who cares? Why am I still watching this? And, and, and I, got, <laughs> I got scared. Seriously, I got scared watching mm-hmm. this film because I thought, am I taking crazy pills or, or something? Because I'm, I'm really not into this movie at all. And, and now I get mm. that this movie is supposed to, to feel like a, a distant memory from, from Cuaron's head. Um, I get it. I, I, I definitely get mm-hmm. it. But he just, he separated the, well, he separated me from Cleo's experience. And yes, we see right. the world. Yeah. We see Cleo's world, right? We, and we hear it and we feel it, yeah. right? But it's all from, from a distance and, and you're there as a spectator and not a participant in the story. And by the yeah. end, I thought I, I really wanted to like this movie and I was mm. primed to even love it. Seriously. Look, this, the, and this is a side note, but it, it relates to, to, to this precise point that I'm making for me w- when my kids were toddlers and well, actually right after they were born, my wife and I were lucky enough to have a nanny for them. My wife stayed with both of them until they were six months old. But after that, you know, mm-hmm. life just kicks in. Bills start mounting up and you have to go to work. So um, so she was working. I was working. And we had a nanny taking care of them from, I don't know, from 5.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. And mm-hmm. she was with us until we moved from California, which I don't know if you know, but I live in Orlando, Florida right now. Um, oh, okay. But we, she was there until the very last day. You know, if it wasn't for her, mm-hmm. we we would have surely missed our flight the day we left. I'm not kidding. Um, she even <laughs> yeah. brought us food for us to take. Um, mm-hmm. So Tere, that's her that's her name, um, is our kid's Cleo, right? She came from right. El Salvador as a refugee, and mm-hmm. she has her own family here in the U.S. We've met her kids and and their respective wives. We went to her home and had dinner. She came over to our home and had dinner. Not not as a server, but you know, as a friend. And she became right. part of our family. And to this day, we still we still call her. We were still in contact. Uh, the kids randomly ask for her. We FaceTime each other. So I get what Corona is trying to evoke with Roma from from that perspective. And I appreciate mm-hmm. he shows us how Cleo lives, how how she has fun, um, who she dates. Uh, right, but but it was it was never I, engaging for me. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I think that there is an element there. I think I and this is a thing that I find interesting about it. Um, mm-hmm. And I will I will agree with you that there were points where I didn't know if it was going to work for me or not because I felt like I was too removed from her mm-hmm. at some point. Um, and the line that she speaks at the end in the beach scene. Okay. Made a huge difference for me. Okay. In terms of the movie. That's fair. Um, because it, it gives you a little glimpse into her inner world, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think that part of it is 
part of what I find interesting about it is it's Guaron was a little boy, right? Um, yeah. And he doesn't understand her. He didn't understand her. There's only so far that he can know. And that I think is kind of an interesting artifact of the filmmaker because he's trying to make this very intimate portrait of this person who he clearly deeply loves, who was really important to him. Um, but he doesn't totally, she's a bit enigmatic. Um, and I, I, I agree with you that you don't really get to enter her world completely. You don't fully, she doesn't fully come alive as a character. And I think that um, for me, the, there are a few reasons why it works that you don't get to do that. And one of them is class. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that her, her station in society doesn't really let her be expressive of herself. Right. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that it works. And, um, and, and that's also why her muted performance works, right? Because she's, it's true. If she, if she, were bigger and did express more and sort of you did get to know her more and she were more active in her own experience, um, it wouldn't be true to reality mm-hmm. uh, just because of, of her social, her social station and, and the fact that she is, you know, a poor indigenous woman who's a servant right. um, in a particular historical moment. Right. Um, but story wise, those like that, that little moment at the end really helped me with that personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's interesting in, you know, the canon of the filmmaker for that reason, because right. it, it's like, it's a chapter of his work and there's so much of him in it, right? Like it's, it's her story, but it's his version of her story. And that is very obvious. Um, yeah. by the fact that you don't really get to fully know her. Yeah, um, but okay. All right. And, and like I said, I, I totally get that. Um, however, he, he, <laughs> he is still telling this story, even though it's from yeah. his perspective. Um, I'm pretty sure he, uh, he talked with her about it and he interviewed her and uh, mm-hmm. he knows more than what he's letting on in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And f- my favorite moments where, where, w- w- when we're alone with her, say in the bus ride or when she's doing those, I don't know what they were, those exercises with her, um, with her friend on the rooftop at night where they had to mm-hmm. kind of shut everything yeah. down. <laughs> those intimate moments like that, um, that, that show me a slice of her life uh, and and I see I see her not only the world around right. her but I I see her and I see what she does. Those for me inform me more than 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 the rest. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I, I again I, I appreciate how he shows us how Cleo lives, um, but I never I never felt that I was with her. Rather, I was just I was just there looking in mm-hmm. but not allowed to feel or, or 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 be part of this slice of life that i was watching and you know by the end i just yeah. couldn't get over the fact that a movie that was so alive felt so cold and empty 
I definitely understand that response. <laughs> All right. So, so I, I'd like to, uh, to point out some some things um, from the movie in a little bit more of uh, more detail. So, how about some spoilers? Sounds good. Ready? Yep. Ready. Um, and I know I'm raining on this movie's parade, but I can still <laughs> I can still appreciate the mastery of his craft. Do you, do you wanna do you wanna just yeah. uh, talk about some spoilers? At the beach, um, when she says um, that she never really wanted the baby, right? Yes. Um, that for me, I think, informed so much of where she was previously mm -hmm. and it, it might be actually a woman thing right um that that could be part of it is like i could relate to that that relationship so much mm -hmm. of of like how you would be so scared right feeling so scared and so alone and we don't know the whole time that she's carrying this baby how she feels about it right we just know that she's there and she's trying to get fermin to like acknowledge or help her at all you know um well we do know she's scared uh -uh. right we, right we know she's scared she uh she, she fears that she'll be um let go from her job fired right right fears she'll be fired she doesn't feel that she can go home she doesn't feel that she can tell her family right um so we know those things but the fact that she doesn't want the baby isn't a thing we know. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think, right. Like how committed, you know, and it's, you see this very big moment of kindness from her employer where you really learn that, that the mom does care about her and see her as a member of the family. When she says, of, of course, you're, I'm not going to fire you. I'm taking you to the doctor. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that, so once she starts getting the medical care and she's going through that process, I don't, I didn't feel like I really knew how she was relating to things. I knew that her fear was associated with getting fired. Um, and, and the, the moment when the baby is stillborn, um, I think is a really phenomenal performance moment from her and it's heart wrenching and, and you feel for her so much, but having the added layer of knowing that she's grappling with all this guilt over how she felt about it mm -hmm. and the guilt of not wanting the baby and then having it be stillborn. And I don't know, I can, I can sort of feel all of those like complex feelings of like not wanting, but loving so deeply. Right. right? Um, and feeling so, so that that you didn't have what you wanted to have to provide for the child um those those are sort of all of the things that got like infused on her performance for me from that line in the last scene um and helped me to sort of understand i felt like it, it gave me a window into her character um that i would probably be much closer to how you felt about the movie if that that last little bit didn't exist. Right, right. Um, well, that that delivery scene you were talking about, um, at its core, it, like you said, it's it's heart wrenching. It's it's you have a woman in labor. She's delivering a, a stillborn baby after yeah. going through this very scary emotional 
distressing moment where uh, you have the riots and she comes face to face with baby daddy. Um, yeah. And then the doctors don't even let her hold her child for too long after she gives birth. Yeah. Um, you know, they take the child away very nonchalantly and keep going Before about the ready. work. You know, all, all of this also in one long continuous shot that I think lasts like four minutes where you see Cleo mm-hmm. in the in the labor room. She's surrounded by, the, by other women. She's uh, other women who are giving birth as well. Um, right. And other doctors. Uh, and you have the camera linger on her. And, you know, though she's, uh, I think she's in the foreground, right? But she's looking away at the doctors who are working in the background on her baby. And, and you know, yeah. we, we can see the doctors going about their business and talking in their own jargon while Cleo mourns the, the child that she cannot hold. But here, more than any other place in the movie is where I disconnected completely. And and, and it, mm. it sort of illustrates what, what I mean when I see that the movie is alive but empty. And I've been there. I've been in the delivery room, granted in the 21st century, and, you know, we have the room to ourselves. But, but the thing is that the doctors did and, and, and say uh, what they didn't say in, in, in the movie are, are, you know, are very familiar. So, so the, right. this entire scene is brimming with, with life and, and realness. But for me, mm-hmm. the camera is so focused on showing me everything that the thing that I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be caring for kind of fades away into the background. Um, and, and, and it leaves me asking, Again, why am I watching this movie? This I'm, I'm sorry, this woman go through this. I I, I know she's hurting, mm-hmm. but I can't feel it. Uh, I'm 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 there where she is, but I'm not with her. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe because she was looking away the entire time while they were working on the baby, and I don't see her face, or I, I don't know what it was. I I just yeah, I just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Wasn't there at all. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's the, that's the scene. That's a particular scene where I was saying, am, am I heartless? Am I just mm-hmm. not seeing what everybody else is seeing? Um, right. I don't know. Again, I felt I was scared. I, I, I was just not, not into the whole, I don't know, misery thing of that scene. And, mm-hmm. and, and thinking back, you know, it should have struck a chord with me because even though I've, I haven't gone through that particular experience, you know, thankfully I haven't had a stillborn child. My, my kids were born yeah. healthy, but still I I've, I've been through, through two births. I've, I've seen my babies right. come out yeah. to the world. And I've, I've, I've been in that situation where you have the doctors working on your son and you, you don't know what's going on. You know, my, my first child right. was, was born with meconium. So he couldn't cry when he came out. They had to basically mm-hmm. wipe him entirely and take, take everything out from, from, from his mouth and his eyes and, and his ears before he could take his first breath. And for those, mm-hmm. it, it felt like an hour to me, but, but I, I'm pretty right. sure they were like two or three minutes, but through that entire right. time, I was, I was going through that emotion of, I don't know what's going on. And, and, you know, my, yeah. my wife and I, we, we, we did read a bunch uh, about everything. So once we knew that he had meconium, we knew we were, we knew what to expect after the child was born. But still, mm-hmm. 
you don't know how you're going to react once you're there. So, you know, my, my right. job as, as the husband, you know, is to be with my wife and, you know, be in solidarity with her. Um, but I had family there. So my mom, my mother-in-law, my sister, my sister-in-law, there were a bunch of people in the room and everybody was wondering what the hell is going on. And, mm -hmm. you know, those moments of stress. So I was thinking, I'm watching this scene and I'm going through this experience of uh, doctors working on a kid who's not breathing, who are, uh, uh, the, the, the protagonist doesn't know what's going on and I'm not feeling anything. I, mm -hmm. Am I, I don't know, am I jaded or yeah. I, I don't know what. So mm -hmm. that's, that's, yeah. that's why for me, this particular scene, um, was the breaking point. Um, uh huh. Yeah. Anyway, long-winded. Mm, <laughs> I also I I have no idea how true this this is because someone just um you know some person I don't even remember the source mentioned it to me in passing. Um, but it's interesting that sort of camera placement was a problem for you in your experience of it because. I remember someone telling me in the last month or two that um, they heard either they read an article or they heard an interview where um, Cuaron said that he wished he hadn't shot at himself. Yes, by the way, that's yes, that's something that we haven't yeah. uh, touched upon. Um, if you guys remember in the beginning of the podcast, I, I said he he wrote and directed among other things. And when I say among other things, he was also the director of photography of this film and he mm -hmm. co-edited the, the film. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's interesting. I haven't I haven't I haven't heard that particular thing. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, let's let's discuss that, because uh, I think that's that's interesting. His his usual collaborator was um, Emmanuel Lubezki. Right. He's done all his movies. Correct. Yeah. And for this one, I yeah. think scheduling things came up and he couldn't shoot it. Didn't permit. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So how do you feel about that? Having having the director uh, shoot his own movie. <laughs> this particular director. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I don't know, honestly. I mean, I think it's more... For me, it's more interesting how he feels about it. Um, okay. The idea that he might... that if it's true that he he didn't feel like um it was the right decision mm. then why and what is what did he want to get out of okay um the shooting of the movie that he didn't feel like he got out of it mm. or i mean because there there are a couple little there are a couple different reasons why you would regret that right either you felt like you didn't get the um sort of the elevation of the camera placement and shot selection that comes from that collaborative partner telling you, let's just get this one other angle, or what if we put the camera over here, right? Which is usually how that, that goes. And for me, um, you know, there are, there are times when I'm the cinematographer and I'm working with someone and I advocate really, really hard for a different angle than what the director had in his or her mind. And, um, it's not that I want, it's not that I want that person not to have the shot that they want. It's that I feel that they're going to miss a, a different version of it or a different shot in the editing room if they don't have it. And they feel that so strongly that I push to add a shot 
so that that if if it works exactly as they imagined it, perfect. Because I I as I mentioned before, I see and hear the movie in my head before I make it. So I I have a really strong idea when I go into a rough cut of how shots are going to come together, and usually what I end up with is very very close to that idea. And so I understand that, and I understand the um, satisfaction and sort of the impulse to make it exactly what it was in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, every once in a while, what was in your head could be a little bit better or doesn't quite work because you didn't get it quite right. And there's just that extra coverage that you would have loved to have and not having it when you're in post is heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And so I will say, Hey, look, it's going to take us five more minutes. I promise I won't fuss with the lighting. We'll just get the take. Let's just get it right. Um, so that, so that I know that they have a little bit of extra, you know, something that I think will be really important to make an emotional moment or important performance moment work. Right. Um, in post. So that's like one, one reason. And then the other reason I could see is if he felt that he spent, that his, 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 uh, focus was too divided. Um, and that maybe some of the directing performance suffered because he was getting sort of pulled away to answer cinematography questions a lot, right? Like trying to like, you know, answer questions from the gaffer and from the camera department at the same time as he's trying to answer questions from the actors. Um, and you know, like directing the camera operator and the, and the gaffer and, um, the grip department as well as the actors can mean that you feel like you don't, you don't necessarily get as much time with the actors. Whereas if you're directing the actors and the production designer, and the DP, and those are just department heads that you're interacting with, then the DP and the production designer go out and they spin, they, they shoot those webs out for you, yeah. right? And you don't have to interact with all of, all of the, the smaller department heads. Um, and so it allows you to focus more. So I'm not sure what, what the reasoning was. And so for me, that's, I'm curious about that. Like, what is it that he feels would have been elevated by having someone else right. on the team that way? Okay. Well, like I said, we can still appreciate the mastery of his craft. And I, I also wanted to talk about the opening shot because I really think that it set the the tone for how this movie is going to work because mm. that shot takes yeah. its time and it shows you what it wants, when it wants. There's no rush. You know, that beginning shot, you hear, you hear the water sloshing and then after yeah. a while the soapy water comes in and then the magic begins when when did you mm-hmm. notice that you were looking at a reflection i don't know because <laughs> I, I didn't notice until maybe when the plane came in it's one of those those tricks mm. where you go ah yeah why why, why didn't i realize mm. that before you know the thing is mm. i was i was reading yeah. i was reading the credits while this whole thing was was going on um and then oh. i noticed a window in the background and then i go wait it's not a window and it's still on the floor it's it's a reflection of the sky above so i think i think that was a great visual and, and a way a, a great way to kind of get us into into how this movie was was going to work yeah um 
I was so captivated by the sound design. Right. Yeah, that's another thing. That's <laughs> through another that thing. whole through that whole shot, but I don't I don't know. Yep. <laughs> I don't know about the reflection because <laughs> just the sound of the water and the way that it builds and it's so rich and and changes and I I was entranced. Right. Um, and I, I I talked about um, the tableaus earlier, um, mm-hmm. but um, I didn't want to go into detail for spoilers sake, but um, so the beach scene, uh, this is maybe a technical discussion, but um, I think it's a beautiful ending. Uh, we talked about her last line mm-hmm. of her not wanting the, the kid. Um, right. And, you know, we get to see the deep connection that Cleo has with, with, with this family. It's, it's a very poetic visual and, and uh, a literal representation of what Cleo is, is willing to do for the family and how, right. how, how this moment reveals how she really felt about her own child. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she's saving these kids who are not hers. And maybe that's what stirs this, 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 this regret and, 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 and this wanting to, to say it out loud. Um, but technically, this is one of those miracle scenes, don't you think? I mean, you have you have a camera that's moving laterally in, in a long continuous mm-hmm. shot. Um, it's just from side yeah. to side, and the suspense and the, the tension builds because we know what's at stake, and and we see Cleo looking at something and and heading toward it, but we don't know what it is. We, we also know that right. she doesn't know how to swim. And by the time that the rescue is over, you, you're as exhausted as them. Um, right. So for this particular scene, I, I read in an interview with Cuaron. Um, it, as a matter of fact, he did it with, with uh, his, his cinematographer, Emmanuel Lubezki. Um, and Cuaron was explaining that they built a rig of some, some type or, or, or a platform for the camera to do the, the dolly laterally. And mm-hmm. um, they, they did it several times. It, I think this platform went right into the beach. Um, so they did it several mm-hmm. times because they wanted to get the sunset just right in the, mm-hmm. in the moment for the family to huddle. So um, yeah. by the end, the platform was already kind of breaking down. So the last take had to be the one and they nailed it. Oh. Yeah, the choreography yeah. is seamless, and and the uh, the magic hour sunlight hits them perfectly. Yeah. Right. Well, it's it's fantastic, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And that's that's it. I think I think that's it. Do you have anything else, spoiler wise, yeah. you want to talk about? Hmm. Oh, how did you how did you feel about yeah. the the treatment of men in this movie? I think they're all oh, buffoons. They're they're yeah. buffoons enthralled with their own manliness. Uh, <laughs> it was very interesting. Yeah, when you said any other and, and any other things, I thought Fermin's character was really strange. Um, it was it was interesting for me um, to think about it in a reversal of what we usually think of as the male gaze. Mm-hmm. Right, that yes. that the female characters don't really have um, a complex identity. Right, the male characters, the adult male characters, the you know the little boys were little boys, but the adult male characters didn't really have complications to their characters. They were just sort of these self-centered jerks that were kind of incomprehensible and had no internal logic yep. really from our perspective. Um, and I found that that 
quite interesting. Um, and, you know, and we talked a little bit about how even Gleo is not particularly accessible as a character, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I also think it's sort of, I, I thought that there was something sort of interesting that all of the characters had a bit of an accessibility, particularly because the person whose memory this is, is a child who doesn't really understand the complication of sort of adult motivations and, and the challenges that adults face in their lives. So I feel like that is sort of a little bit reflected, but also, you know, the men are very much presented from the perspective of the women who don't understand what's happening with them. Right. Um, and I thought that was particularly interesting coming from a male filmmaker. Um, it, yeah, I thought it was an interesting sort of reversal of, of the incomprehensible, you know, character that just sort of behaves in this way that doesn't seem to have any internal logic. Um, I, and I, I honestly didn't know what to make of it, except that we were experiencing them from the perspectives of the mother and Gleil. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that we, we only were allowed to understand as much as they did, which was very little, you know. Right. Um, both of them really didn't understand why the man whose affection they, they sought was being so hurtful and and removed um and then it turns out that fermin is like i don't know being some kind of like trained by the state for some sort of like police militaristic police Mm -hmm. um and the dad disappears and the way they both they were both the the way that they were both introduced i mean you have you have the dad Mm -hmm. parking this car that (laughs) is maybe compensating for something um, right. <laughs> it's a car that barely fits in that driveway. Um, yeah. But you don't see his face. All you see are his hands and the way yeah. he, he moves the, 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 the phallic gear thing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe I'm just reading too much into this. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think you are. Uh, <laughs> I think and, that's very much like, <laughs> that, I think that was very purposeful because I, I got the same thing from it. It's like this just the, completely inaccessible character, right? Right. And then you have at least to his family. And then you have Fermin, who is he's doing these martial arts this martial arts acrobatics routine. or whatever. Yeah. Um he, he's he looks like a jester out of like uh, mm-hmm. the English court or something. And he's just spewing this nonsense. You know, even the guru right. seems like an idiot. I think that was purposeful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think he's supposed to seem like an idiot. Um, oh, and another, another uh, uh, um, fantastic choreography when she when she comes out of the bus, right, and and she uh, she walks mm-hmm. into this village, and you have yeah. you have this political rally in the background, and you have this guy getting in a in a cannon. And every, you know, <laughs> incredible. life is just going on. She's talking with whoever mm-hmm. she gets off the bus and you have this political rally in the background, fully in focus. You see the guy popping out from the, from the thing. It's <laughs> mind boggling. That was amazing. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, just life. Everything's just moving along. Yeah. It's normal course. They have the scene 
but nothing stopping anybody else from doing whatever they're supposed to be doing in their daily routine. Um, yeah. That's, uh, it's just great. I don't know. I'm a sucker for those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it, it also plays into sort of the slice of night, life right. yes. of this movie, yes. right? That it is a really like actually small story in the grand scheme of things. It's just that in a, in a much broader uh, place, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think, I think physically, but also historically. Right. Um, yes. I mentioned earlier, like I thought it was really interesting, sort of the idea of all this political turmoil mm-hmm. um, happening around this family turmoil and the climax of the, the um, massacre of the student protest, right. Happening at the same time as her going into labor. Right. right? I, I, I'm kind of a sucker for those things <laughs> like lining up different, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. like writing style, you know, mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. Of line, like using sort of political or historical moments as metaphor for personal and the sound in that internal scene. life. Right. Cause you yeah. hear, you hear the ruckus from the beginning. Right. But it kind of dies mm-hmm. down once they enter the store. But then it kind of builds yeah. up and builds up and builds up until they look out the, the window and they see what's going on and then chaos ensues yeah. and they come in. the. It's just, it's great, great uh, use of sound. I think yeah. um, I, I, I really appreciate the way that um, Cuaron and his sound team were able to envelop this movie with such rich live sounds it's it's incredible and there's no music right i don't think there's a is there a music maybe diegetic music Um, i don't know i don't think i didn't notice that i just i mean this soundscape is so incredible i know right yes it kind of (laughs) swept me away yep yep yeah all right well um we're kind of winding down now to our last minute so um how about if we do a list okay all right. So before we started recording, I asked you to name five things in media um, that you were looking forward to in 2019. Now, it doesn't have to mm-hmm. be in order. You can just name them and give me a brief reason why. Yeah. So um, TV shows really are most of what I'm paying attention to. Um, my favorite show uh, last year was Kidding, um, which is a Michelle Gondry uh, show. I'm dying to watch that. Jim- yeah, Jim Carrey is kind of a pastiche of uh, Mr. Rogers, and his character is um, dealing with his family falling apart. And the circumstances are that one of his twin sons um, has died, and so he has this very happy, um, kind, loving public persona. But his internal life, he's facing a lot of challenges. So it's it's a great kind of contrast and personal family drama story, and I adored it. I think it's brilliant. Um, so I cannot wait for the next season of that. Um, Atlanta also last year, which I don't understand how it got greenlit, but I think it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't wait for the next season because the second season was incredible. Um, and I'm looking forward to the final season of The Affair, uh, which has had its ups and downs, but I think is really interestingly written. Um, and Viva which is going to have a second season. So I'm excited for that. And finally, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. All right. All about TV right now. Yeah, great. 
So um, I haven't seen any of those. which is great because now I now I have uh, I have some things on my on my list although although uh, yeah. Maisel was is on my list as as is uh kidding um mm. so yes most definitely okay um so yeah the second season of Atlanta is quite interesting too I would right. highly recommend all right then I'll, <laughs> I'll try to check that out so um yeah. so here are my five um Avengers and game I'm excited to see mm. how this story arc in the MCU wraps up. Um, Infinity War okay. was was an epic entry in the in in this uh, universe. It delivered the spectacle that it promised, and mm-hmm. um, I like most of the films in the MCU. You know, although, like I've said, I, I don't consider myself a comic book fan. I, I I can still appreciate how Marvel has been able to take their IPs and turn them into such such uh, successful interconnected movies so that's yeah. one um watchmen the tv series on hbo i've been a damon lindelof fan since lost and i just i can't wait to see what he has uh for this uh i know yeah. he and his writing team have cooked up something great so i'm really looking forward to this his last venture with hbo was for me one of the best tv shows i've seen um I'm talking about The Leftovers, which was a <laughs> wonderful show and nobody watched. And no, it's hmm. not about things that you heat up in the microwave. Um, <laughs> it's it's a very, very beautiful show about grief, about loss and hope. Um, so knowing that he's adapting Watchmen, which I've read, uh, it has me has me pumped because he's not one to adapt something right off the page. He, he adapts by keeping the spirit and the essence of the original work, but he makes it his own. So mm-hmm. I think he proved it with the leftovers, which was a novel. And I'm certain that he'll do the same here. So really looking forward mm-hmm. to that. Uh, another thing is star Wars episode nine. Now this is my childhood dream, finding out what happens after return of the Jedi and here <laughs> here we get to uh hopefully see the conclusion of the skywalker saga and whatever lies ahead and mm-hmm. i've been a fan of jj abrams uh even with his projects that haven't quite worked but i like his brand i like i like his style and it's star wars i mean it's the quintessential popcorn franchise I'm, and i'm there for it so looking forward to that <laughs> Uh, the Return of True Detective. Uh, how uh, have you seen any of the uh, True Detective seasons? I haven't. All right, no, season you're one. You're giving me all these things. Season one is great. <laughs> season two is pretty terrible. So, um, you know, I'm I'm ready for a new story and hopefully something a lot more satisfying than than that in season yeah. three. Yeah. And finally, the last season of Game of Thrones. Uh, I don't have to explain that one. You have war, dragons, ice, fire, (laughs) betrayals, alliances, revenge, flaming swords. You have you have frozen zombies, political intrigue. Do I have to go on? I mean, it's it's like watching. What more could you want? Yeah, it's like watching this epic movie every week. So can't wait, can't wait for that. So so before we 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 go, um. Tell people where um, 
we can see your works and um, hopefully the 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 new fest the festivals your uh, your shorts going to be running on. Um, I you can see a lot of my work at my website, which is leonoramakespictures.com. Um, there's also a series on Awesomeness TV called Twenty Something, and the film festivals for Cafe Abundance are the Women's Film Festival in Vermont and the Worldwide Women's Film Festival in Phoenix. All Ooh, right. that was a lot of W's. Yes. Um, <laughs> all right, and where can people find you and your work on social media? I am also Lonora Makes Pictures on Instagram and on Facebook. Okay, sweet. Um, so you can find us on Twitter at Media Review Pod. That's Media R E V U E Pod. And you can send us emails with questions, comments, and suggestions to Media Review Pod at gmail.com. Or now you can leave a voicemail at 407 603 And please don't forget to subscribe to our feed. Uh, and please rate and review the pod. Leonora, although it's been a while, it was great just catching up with you. And, you know, I hope we can do this again sometime. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me. And to all of you out there, go make something. Express it. Live it. Feel it. But please, please don't forget to breathe. Till next time, we're out. Mm-hmm.